Today's the day of celebration. It's a day of great celebration, and uh, it's also a, great, a day of great hope, a day of incredible hope. And I believe that as we sing these songs, we sing the truth that's in these songs, we're just, I, I don't know if it's speaking to your heart, it speaks to mine every time when I recognize who God is. I often come to church and I, uh, I'm discouraged sometimes about certain areas in my life. And uh, I come and I realize through, these, through worship songs, through the truth of Scripture, who God is again who he is again, what he's done, what he's already accomplished on the cross, and what kind of life he wants to pour into me as well. So it's just exciting to be reintroduced. Uh, I mean, you can all day, all week, you want to you be engaging with God, but it's great to come together and just be encouraged. And I just love our worship team, how they reintroduce us to Jesus every single week. Ah, well, happy Easter. How many of you are sitting beside somebody who's going to feed you today? <laughs> and then how many of you are sitting beside people that you have to feed today? <laughs> May God give you strength and endurance. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know what your life, I, I, I don't know how many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for this, but I don't know how many of you grew up going to church like as a kid. Um, when I grew up going to church as a kid, I would hear the pastor every week, and I, I think I might have thought like this. I go to church every week because I probably did bad stuff during the week, and I need a pep talk so I can behave better. I don't know, did anyone have that experience growing up? You're like, the weekly pep talk so you'll behave better. Right? Some of you say, yeah, that was my experience growing up. Some of you are raising your hand and you're still children, so that means you're talking about me. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> well, let me give you a quote. Uh, oh, look, just say, so some people think that the main goal of Christianity is to make a bad person behave better. And, but I want to say on Easter Sunday morning that there's something more at work, much more at work. Let me throw this first quote up on the, on the, on the screen here. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He didn't come to, to manage your behavior, to, for, for you to uh, become really moral in, in some of those things. Those things are part of the package. But, but, you know, mainly he came to make dead people alive. He came to make you and me alive. I want to go right to the second quote there. This is uh, Billy Graham. He, he said it this way. He said, someday you'll read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. More alive than ever. You know, I was always, I've been a pastor for 25 years. I know you can't believe me because you think I'm 25 years old. That's okay. I can show you my, my driver's license later if you're, if you're questioning my integrity. Anyhow, I'll show you that. But for 25 years, the first 12 or and a half, I was scared to do a funeral. Because I always thought they were so important to get that right, and I was nervous. I always let, like, older, more experienced guys do it. And so I never did a funeral for 12 and a half years. I got out of every one. And then I did my very first funeral, actually, here at Hillcrest Church, and uh, over the course of time, I came to realize that as a minister at a funeral, you really have a very simple job. It's not as complex as I thought it was. One, you need to tell people that the person, now I, mostly I'm doing funerals for people who believe in Jesus, who trusted him with their lives. And so I, my main part, my first part of my job is to say, this person is more alive than they've ever been. They're not dead, they're alive. More alive than they were before. That's the first part of my job. The second part of my job is to tell people, and you too can be more alive than you are now. It's pretty simple. Because of Jesus, you can be more alive. Like Billy Graham said, don't believe a word of it when you see that I'm dead. I'll be more alive than I have ever been. Just changed addresses. So, let me tell you a story about three guys, Larry, Moe, and Curly. And they're at a funeral, and they see the person that they know who's in the, in the box, and uh, they've heard the eulogy, and they, they're chatting afterwards, and they say, well, you know, fellas, what, what, what would you like people to say about you when, when you're in the box someday? And Larry said, well, I just want them to say that I was a family man, that I love my wife, I love my kids, and that I really put my family first. 
And yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, 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 Mo, he says, well, I want people to say about me that I was civically minded, that I care deeply about my community, and I always made things better in my community. That's what I want people to say. And then they both turned towards Curly, and they said, Curly, what do you want people to say when, about you when you're in the box? And he said, oh, it's simple. I want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> Generally, we don't want to be dead if there's a chance that we can be alive. I mean, fully alive. We want to be alive. And that's why the parts of the Bible I want to share with you today are potentially such incredible news for you. Incredible news. Romans 8, 11 is where I'm going to begin. This verse is amazing. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The power of God that we celebrate at Easter and the, the, and the resurrection of Jesus is not just a miracle for Jesus. I mean, that's amazing. That God raised Jesus from the dead. That kind of power to defeat death. And that gives us huge hope for our, our lives too. Right? That's the power that we declare at a funeral for a believer. We say, wow, because Jesus beat death, we can beat death too. We can be alive eternally with God. That's exciting to be able to share that, uh, that truth and that hope and that certainty that we have in that. But the power of God that we celebrate at Easter is not just for Jesus. That same power can live and be available for you and me today. Today. I want to read the second part of the verse. It says, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will, whoa, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. He will give you life to your mortal bodies. Now, mortal body, a mortal body is one that dies, right? So we're talking about death and coming alive again. And I want to say there's two parts to this. The, the one part that we're already talking about is the fact that you can live eternally with God. That's an option for you, for all of us. God makes that invitation available to all of us. You can live eternally with God so that your mortal body, which will die and decay, is not your final home. I love the one verse in the Bible that says it's like a tent. What's a tent? A temporary place to live. Right? I had a kid in my youth group years ago who decided to tent three, for a whole year in his backyard. And when it got to minus 40, he made it. He got through the whole winter sleeping in an amazing sleeping bag. I think he just went all out and bought the big fluffy one. And he made it through the whole winter. But I, we all thought he was insane. And we told him that. We said, a tent is a temporary dwelling. Get back into your parents' house. You're going to die someday. Anyhow, he was fine. He survived. But a tent is temporary. So is this body. It's a temporary dwelling. Our, our mortal bodies are temporary. So the hope is that... Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. That's, so it's not just that Jesus was resurrected and came back to life. Those who die knowing God, having their lives surrendered to him and living for him, they, they'll also experience a resurrection to be with God. But there's two parts to this. And I want to pair Romans 8.11 to uh, another verse in Romans chapter 8, Romans 8.32. So let me re read Romans 8.32. Um, he who did not spare his own son, but also gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So there's two parts to this. God gave his son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Of course, he lived a sinless life, the life we were meant to live but couldn't. Then he died a sacrificial death in our place. And the death we deserve to die... But, of course, it wouldn't have made a difference because we weren't the right kind of sacrifice. We couldn't pay for our own sins. He knew that. He set a plan in place, and he gave us Jesus so that Jesus could take that place for us. So that's the first part of it. It's all about, you know, uh, knowing that we can live in eternity forever with God. But the second part is where I really want to go even more strongly today. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If we know the first part is true, that God is so gracious that he would give us his son, his only son, for us. Then, 
how will he not also give us things that are not even as big as that? Still super vitally important, but not as big as that. So it's the fact that God gave us the biggest, the greatest gift that anyone can receive that tells us his heart towards us, his desire towards us, how he is motivated towards us. And it gives us great hope, not just for eternity, but for this life too. But for this life too. I heard a speaker years ago when I was a kid, and it really caught me the way he said it. He said, Christianity is not just pie in the sky when you die, but it's steak on the plate while you wait. <laughs> now, that's not so cool anymore because we're not into red meat as much as we used to be, right? <laughs> so I was trying to revamp it, and I said, it's not just pie in the sky when you die, but it's pails of kale from a whale. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't work very well. You know, I notice if whales eat kale, why aren't they thin? I don't know. Anyhow, it must be about portion control. Anyhow, you, gotta, you can't just eat endless amounts of it, people. It, it's too much. Anyhow, today, whether you ate red meat or whether you eat kale, I pray your, your meals together would be wonderful. Uh, God wants to not just, the, the promise of bringing things to life is for eternity, but it's also for this life too. See, when we talk about he wants to uh, bring life to your mortal bodies, of course that's a promise for eternity first. But secondly, it means that he wants to bring life to areas in your life that are dead. That are dead. Places in your life that are dead, that are in decay, that are getting worse. And he wants to make them better. He does. He wants to make your life so much better. Now, I'm not talking about perfect. I'm not talking about you never experience suffering. That's not, an, that's not the God that the Bible talks about. People say, oh, if God really loved me, I would never suffer again. Now, that's an imaginary God of probably North American creation. It's not, that's not who God is. Right? He allows people to go through suffering, but he's with them in suffering. But God wants to make your life better. Not perfect, but better. He wants to impact your relationships, make them better, your emotions better, different things better. He wants to work in every place in your life that's dead and make it alive again. He wants to work in those areas of your life. So he will give life to every dead area. Your mortal or dead relationships, your mortal or on life support marriage. Your mortal or totally numb, it seems like you're dead, emotions. Your mortal dreams. Every place that seems like it's dead or in decay, God can give life to that area by the same spirit Christ raised from the dead, that raised Christ from the dead. He'll give life to your dead areas. He'll give life to your dead areas. The resurrection of Jesus provides the power to close the gap between the life you are currently living and the life that you could live. Now, I'm not saying this is the life you've always wanted. Let me clarify that. I'm not saying, wow, God's going to give me all everything I want on my wish list. No, he's not. Why? Because he knows better than you about what you should have, right? It's that old needs and wants conversation you had with your parents when you were a teenager, right? I need that. No, you want that. Oh, but I need it, right? God knows better. Today, it's very likely that my five-year-old will come to the table, see the two-liter of Coca-Cola, and say, can I take that to my room, drink it, and spin around till I'm dizzy? Now, that's his idea of his best life. <laughs> but my thoughts are higher than his thoughts. And because I love him, and because I love the carpet in that room, I'm going to propose a different but better life for him. And God will do that to you. And God will do that to me. We'll say, God, I want this. I want that. Aren't you glad that he didn't answer all your prayers? Oh, I just know if that dreamy boy was to be my boyfriend, that all my, I, all my dreams would come to. I, I'd be so happy if I could date Biff Tannen. He's so awesome. Whatever. You have to watch. 
I have to be a child of the 80s and watch a lot of Michael J. Fox movies to get that one. It's fine. But God had, God's better is different from your better, but it's better than your better. I'll say it again. God's better is different and better than your better. It requires you to trust him, though, and believe that that's true. Just like my five-year-old's going to have to trust me that taking the Coke to the room is not his best life. There is better than that. Let me read you a C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis wrote the books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the whole Narnia series. Maybe you've read the books or seen the movies. But this is what he wrote. He's a Christian man. He wrote, Easter is death working backwards. Easter is death working backwards. Instead of from life to death, which is the normal progression, it's from death back to life. So what do I have to do in order to experience this kind of work in my life? What do I have to do? I think most people think that God is requiring more of them than he actually is. Or maybe different things than he actually is. We might think that, well, I read the Bible, the people in the Bible, they're so special, they're so holy, they're so spiritual. I can't even relate to them. I'm not like that. I'm not a great man or woman of faith. I can't be like them. They're spiritual heroes. I'm not that. I want to show you today that you have a lot in common with them. And uh, maybe more than you realize. Let me give you, I'm going to give you three biblical examples. Uh, short, medium, and longer. The first one, the short one. Paul is the one who wrote this in 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 8 to 11 to talk about his life experience. He says, we want you, we don't want you to be in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all this came down on us in the Asia province. Oh, in Asia province. It was so bad. How bad was it? It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. Like, either they're going to die or they're going to commit suicide. It was that bad. Like, it was bad. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Is this a crazy talk? He says, this is, I experienced the worst of the worst of experiences here on earth. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to live. We didn't think we were going to make it through what we were going through. And it turned out that was the best thing that could have happened for us. How is that even possible? How could this have been the best thing that could have happened? I, I mean, do you have an area in your life right now that seems so bad that it just seems like it's all over? That it couldn't possibly go from being dead to being alive again. That area can't be resurrected. You know, that might be the best thing for you. Why? How in the world could this be the best thing that ever happened? Read the next line. It said, instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get us out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. We were forced to trust God totally. What did, now, what did Paul have to do? Or what do I have to do to see this resurrection power at work in my life. It's actually less than you think. Paul didn't have some super spiritual ability to get out of trouble that we don't have. He just trusted God. And what was he, what was, what particularly was he trusting about God? Well, the next line tells us. It says, well, we were forced to trust God totally, which is not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. Because God has the power to bring things that are dead back to life. We serve a God who got out of the grave. We serve the God who raises the dead. If God can conquer death and there's nothing in my life, he cannot conquer. So Paul got through by totally trusting God. It wasn't something that he did. It was, it was trusting in what God had done. I'll give you another example. A guy named Abraham. Again, you might think these people are people with great faith who prayed more than you ever want to and read their Bible a lot and always did the right thing, I, and you can't relate to them. I want to say, no, 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 they're very much like you and me. Romans 4.17 tells us about Abraham. It says, this is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. If you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, they were infertile and they couldn't have kids. And then that went on so long, they were too old to have kids. And God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And that came to pass. That happened. Right? Millions of people on the planet today, tens of millions, 
maybe even 100 million, I'm not totally sure, can trace their lineage back to Abraham. So what motivated God to do this great thing in Abraham? Was it because he read the Bible more than people, he prayed more than people, he gave more than people? What, what, what God, why did God do this? It wasn't because he was special. All he did was believe. All he did was believe. He didn't figure it out. He didn't have the answers. He didn't know how God was going to do it, where God was going to do it, when God was going to do it. But look at the next part in the verse. It says, this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Abraham believed in the God of Easter before Easter even happened. Chronologically, Abraham lived before Jesus lived. So he was trusting in the character of God before and the goodness of God and the power of God before the ultimate demonstration of the goodness and power of God had even arrived, which is Jesus. That's the ultimate picture. I mean, if you want, you say, what's God like? Well, you can give you, there's a whole lot of descriptions in the Bible, but you could go, the best picture that you get is Jesus. Look to Jesus and you see what God is like. You see who God is. You see his goodness. You'll see his power on display. So what do you have to do in order for the death process to be reversed in your life? For your life to be better, the kind of better that God has in mind, to go from death to life, you just have to believe in the one who can do it. Like Paul, trust God totally. Now, the third one I want to share with you is about Jesus raising some from, from the dead. And I was, um, I've been reading through, so I have a five-year-old, the one, you know, that I'm going to keep from the Coke today. And uh, he, I've been reading every night, he says, tell me a story. And for a while, I just tried to tell him creative stories I made up on the spot. But I, my brain cannot do that for very long. I don't know if you've, anyhow, if you've been there. So I just decided, I'm going to take the book of Mark, which is one of the stories, accounts of Jesus. And it's the most densely packed, it's the shortest of the Gospels, but it's the most densely packed with events, right? Not a lot of extra teaching where Jesus tells long teaching, mostly just what happened to Jesus, what happened to Jesus, what happened to Jesus, right? Which is better for five-year-old boys, I think. Anyhow, so I've been just working my way through each chapter. So every time I find a story, I tell him the story, and he always tells me, Dad, please make it funny. Well, some of the stories aren't very funny, so I add characters, I do all this stuff, but then after I'm done, I have to strip it back down again and say, Daddy added this, this, and this, because I don't want to be confused about the extras that I added to the Bible, right? I, so it's a quite a complex, I don't know if I'm saving my brain space in doing it this way. But we got to the story of how John the Baptist is arrested and killed by King Herod. And we'd already heard stories about how Jesus raising people from the dead. So here I have five-year-old, big brown eyes looking at me, and he's saying, but Jesus raised him from the dead, right, Daddy? But Jesus raised him from the dead. Ooh. It's hard to tell a five-year-old that God might have a different plan and that God's ways are higher than our ways because if you know the rest of the story, Jesus does not raise his cousin John the Baptist from the dead. But he mourns his death, and, and uh, he raises other people from the dead. Wow. God's got stuff going on that we just can't trace out. We don't know what he's doing, right? So I'm trying to explain to a five-year-old that God knows why John the Baptist was not raised from the dead, right? Jesus had a reason. We don't always get to know those reasons. And that's hard for a five-year-old. It's also hard for a 25-year-old and a 45-year-old and a 55-year-old and an 85-year-old. It's hard, isn't it, to say, I'm just going to trust God, but that's what it takes. I'm going to trust him that he's good and he's powerful and he's do what needs to be done and that God's better is different and better than my better. I'm going to trust him totally. So I'm telling, so we get to the, the one of the stories of Jesus raising from, uh, um, probably the most famous story of Jesus raising from someone from the dead is the story of Lazarus. John 11 uh, is where we find it. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary. And her sister Martha, this Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, now lay sick. He, oh, she was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So uh, we learned from Daisy last week that so many girls back then were named Mary. This is not Jesus' mother, Mary. This is a different Mary. And they decided, Mary and Martha, 
decided to send a message to Jesus, and watch what they tell him. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Now I want you just to notice what it says there. It doesn't say, the one who loves you. It doesn't say, Lazarus prays every day, he reads his Bible every day, and he really loves you. And so because he loves you so much, that needs to motivate you, God, to love him back and help him. No, it says the one you love is sick. This is the point I want to make sure you hear. God is not primarily motivated to help you based on your great love for him. He is already motivated to help you based on his great love for you. Let me give you a verse that will help you see that. Romans 5.8. But God, let's see if we can get that up there. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still sinners, basically running, living a life just totally for ourselves. Just running after whatever we wanted. Indifferent to God. Maybe even hostile to God. Didn't, either way, not loving God. He loved us. Before we loved God, he loved us. So his motivation to help you to bring things that are dead in your life back to life is not based on the fact that you love him. It's based on the fact that he wants to do something in your life. Even if you've been totally hostile to God your whole life, he loves you. Even if you've been absolutely indifferent to God your whole life, he loves you. Even with, when you were younger, you sort of loved God, but just sort of that fell away, and now you've gone on to love other things. He loves you still. And that love in his heart for you motivates him To not only give you Jesus so that you can have life eternal with God, but to want to help you in all these areas of your life that are, that are dead now, but he wants to bring alive. Let me get back to Lazarus. It says, when he heard this, the one you love is sick, remember? When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, if you know the story, I'm just going to, well, I'll just give the spoiler alert right now. If you know the story, even though Jesus says the sickness will not end death, you know that Lazarus dies. But what Jesus says is true. It doesn't end that way. It doesn't end in death. That's not the final chapter of the story. But Lazarus is going to die. But it won't end in death. He may go through something that looks like it's over, but it's not going to stay that way. And so Jesus says, no, it's for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. So God wants to do something even bigger in Mary and Martha's life and Lazarus' life and so many other people's life who are going to witness this and experience this together than what Martha had in mind. So Martha and Mary are writing and asking, come, Lazarus is sick. What, what do they have in mind? What are they dreaming up that he'll get better? And Jesus says, I've got something bigger than what you have in mind. You can't ask for or even imagine how much God can give. God's better is different and better than your better, than my better. So Jesus, it says the next verse, this, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And you say, well, why, why was this so important to say that? Well, I think because the next verse is going to make you think he doesn't love them. Okay, so the next verse says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So, whoa, why didn't Jesus race to Lazarus' bedside to heal him and raise him up? Do you ever feel like God is delaying his response in your life? Like he doesn't really care that much? Some of us might be irritated by how slow it seems God is. I'm not sure if he ever gets irritated by how slow our response to him is. I, there could be frustration on both sides. But one of us is right. But I'll give you a hint, it's not you, it's not me. 
It seems sometimes that God's response is slower than we think it should be, there's a, but there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture going on in our lives. Perhaps God is working at developing something that's bigger and better than what we asked for. So the next verses say, oh no, we're going to jump to John 11, 11. It says, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. You know, sometimes we reason with our intellect. Oh, I get what you're, I get what you're doing, God. I get what you're saying, God. We don't always. We have to realize, again, um, instead of telling God how we should work in your life on your behalf, trust him. Praise him that is working. The Bible gives us lots of promises to sell that he's working. Those who's called, those who call, those who he's called, he's 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 working on their behalf. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Right? If it worked out the way that they had planned, that they had figured out, there wouldn't be this big uh, faith explosion that was going to happen. You know what's in the valleys where your faith grows? It's in the valley of death where your faith grows. If your life was all mountaintop experiences, just the charmed life where never, never, nothing bad ever happens, you wouldn't need to trust God totally. Sometimes when we go into those darkest places where we say, my dream died, my relationship died, my hope died. That's the place where God is working in you the deepest. He's working out in your life that ability, that, that, that ability to trust him. Sometimes I've even seen it in my life. It's almost like um, it started out and it was like, I think, you know, it was a fairly charmed life. Not too hard, you know, like the valleys were little valleys. The mountains were little mountains. It's like, oh, God's good. I was crying because I fell off my bike. But my mommy hugged me. Isn't God good? But as life went on, I experienced deeper valleys. But coming out of those valleys, a greater sense of God's greatness and deeper valleys and greater and greater appreciation for who he is and then deeper valleys. I, I, if you keep a journal, like a guy diary, if you keep a journal, <laughs> I was told by my first pastor to do that. And I, so I journaled lots. And I was single at the time, so I had nothing to do. So I just journaled all the time. <laughs> sorry, sorry if you're single. I'm not, I'm not, I, I was single. I know. All right, so I was... I journaled, and you know what I noticed? The mountain that I could not imagine overcoming when I was 21 was a molehill when I was 24. That 21-year-old mountain was insurmountable. How could this be overcome? God, I'm dying here. How can anyone survive this? Three years later, I'm like, that was nothing. But my 24-year-old mountain was huge. Three years later, I was like, that was nothing. But my 27-year-old mountain was massive. What's God doing? He's growing your faith. He's growing your trust. He's growing your ability to look to him in all circumstances. You know what that means, right? Right? In three years, I'm going to look back at what I'm dealing with right now and laugh. About now. Not about then. I'll be challenged. Because God wants to take me deeper so he can take me higher. And God wants to do that for you too. He wants to do that in your life too. So on his arrival, this is verse 17. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. I've heard this. I haven't fact-checked it, so I'll just throw it out, and you can fact-check it yourself. I heard that Jewish people at this time commonly believed that the spirit of a person hovered over the body for three days. Day one, day two, day three. Day four, he's dead. I mean, it's sort of like Princess Bride. He was mostly dead, but now he's really dead. Again, 
Child of the 80s, that's all you're going to get from me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish I was more relevant. Anyhow, so, <laughs> so he, he comes there on the fourth day. The mourners have said, well, we mourned and we waited and we, and, and he's dead. He's dead. There's no mostly dead. He's, he's dead, dead, dead. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. That's how far away he was. And many Jews had come up, or watched, I'm not sure if that's where he, oh, I'll back off on that. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she ran out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Everybody eventually rises again is basically what she's saying. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not going to happen someday. It's going to happen today. And the next line is critical. This next line is critical. This next line defines Easter. And it could redefine your life. There's power in this next line. I hope you can sense it. You can catch it. There's power in this next phrase. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. See, resurrection is not an event. It's not an annual holiday. It's a person. And Martha was looking right at him. I am the resurrection, Martha. If you'll lean into me, stuff will happen in your life that you can't even imagine. I am the resurrection, is what Jesus said. You know, there's a, there's a word, there's a follow-up word here. We're going to come to it. We've already talked about it. We're gonna, there's a word, the key word. The beauty of it is how simple it is, how little he is asking of us. He says it three times in this passage. He says, I'm not asking you to pray more, go to church more, give more. Oh, those are part of the package of following Jesus. But you know what? Jesus is simply asking us to believe in him. Some of you have given up. Maybe you tried this following Jesus and it didn't work for you. Maybe it's because you thought God had to make your better come true. And God said no to that because he's got a better that's better than your better. It's different. It requires change in us. But I run into this a lot. People said, I believed in a God who would never cause me to suffer, never take me through hard times. Then I suffered. So I didn't think he loved me. And then I have to apologize for every pastor everywhere. I said, I'm sorry if we taught you along the way that God was going to fix every problem and make everything just hunky-dory. No. That's an imaginary God, the God who never allows you to suffer. You will go through hard times. You will go through suffering. But God will be with you in all of it, working out in you, a resurrection. Working in you, life in those areas that are dead. So if you've given up, it didn't work for you. I believe that God is calling you today, this Easter Sunday, to believe again. I believe God is calling you to hope again this Easter Sunday. If life happened and it seemed like it dashed your hopes and ripped out your beliefs, I believe God put this moment together so that you could believe again. Jesus said, the one who believes, here's that word that's repeated three times, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. The one who, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he says to Martha, and he says to you and me, do you believe this? Do you believe, Jesus says, that I'm the resurrection that your life needs? Do you believe it? It's just so simple. That's what the beauty is in its simplicity. Do you believe this? I realize it's hard sometimes because life crashes down. But our hope is that this resurrection day you would believe or perhaps believe again. In 2014, our family went on a vacation into the States, and we ended up in California, and we were driving on our way to Disneyland through 
Death Valley. Death Valley. Can I get a picture up there? Of Okay, that's great. That's a great picture of Death Valley. So Death Valley is like the hottest, driest place in the whole North America, basically. And it is, you know, there, we actually stopped at the gas station where there's a big thermometer. I don't know. Anyone ever been to the big thermometer gas station? I don't know. Okay, just us. And uh, that's, what, that's the kind of sights we like to see. Thermometers. Look at kids, we're really living. This is a vacation you'll never forget. Look at that thermometer. Get pictures. All right. Let's go back to Moose Jaw. Okay. You don't need Disneyland. You need a thermometer. Anyhow, so here we are in Death Valley. Here we are in Death Valley. And um, it's dead. There's nothing. There's no vegetation. It's so hot, so dry, nothing lives in Death Valley. Back in 2004, and the reason is that it never rains there. Never rains. Never rains there. But in 2004, in the fall of 2004, October, November, December, somewhere around there, a freak weather pattern happened, and Death Valley got flooded with seven inches of rain. And at first, it just was like a muddy mess, and that's it. Just went from dead dirt to dead mud. But then, in 2005, as the year began, something began to change. Can I, show me the second picture here. Let's just see the second picture. So this is Death Valley. Again, there's no vegetation. You can't see it very well, but this is a, but, and now, by Easter of 2005, it looked like this. Can we see the next one? You see, underneath those cracks in the ground and that dry soil, there were seeds. There were seeds waiting for moisture. They've been waiting for years, for years, for a resurrection. And when the rain came, Death Valley turned to life. And in your life, no matter how dry and cracked and dead, God has planted some seeds deep down that he wants to water and bring to life in you. And he wants to change things. Ephesians 1, 19 to 20, I love this prayer. It's a prayer. It's a prayer for you. It's a prayer for me. I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. I pray that. Do you pray that? I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. This week, I, was, I had an area in my life, this week, this week, where I was like, this area seems dead. It seems dead. Can it be brought to life? I began to pray, God, would you bring this area to life in my life? Would you, would you, this area seems dead and decaying, like it's hopeless. This is, I, I got to a crazy, I started praying crazy, sort of. I said, God, would you Easter this area? Would you Easter this area? I don't know if that's a verb and if you're allowed to do that. Well, that's what I prayed. Would you Easter this dead area in my life? Oh, and he did. And he did. He showed me, he showed me how great his power is for those who believe him. How incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. Notice who it helps. Not the person who prays most. Not the person who comes to church the most. The person who reads the Bible the most. Those are all good things. I'd encourage you to do them. But his power is to help those who believe. All you got to do is believe to experience that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead working in you today. Here at Hillcrest Church, we've seen people uh, addicted, set free. We've people, we see people come into this church and their marriages are on the rocks and God restores their marriage. We've seen people hopeless at the end of their rope, like Paul said he was, not knowing if they're going to make it, and God filled them with hope and peace and a, and a, a calling and a sense of direction for their journey going forward. We've just seen these things happen because of God. Because of his spirit and what he wants to do. It, it is that same, I'm just the last part of that verse. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heaven. That's the power that's going to bring a resurrection 
into, our, into your life and into my life. Would you stand with me? So I'm, I'm just going to ask it really simply. Some of you, you say, I don't know what happened. Maybe my faith leaked or something in certain areas. Or maybe I just stopped seeing God's power being available to me. Or, or maybe just something, life happened and I stopped believing in some area that my life could ever be transformed there. And you are sensing the Spirit of God calling you today to believe again in that area. You're sensing, I'm, I'm going to make this a bit private. You want to just, let's just do something we don't do very often. If you close your eyes and just bow your head, just close your eyes and bow your head. I want to make this a little bit private here for other people because this, this is a thing between you and God. But I, I'm going to ask you to do something as a faith step, to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. Only I'll be able to see. But there's an area of your life that you want God to bring from death to life and you realize you're being challenged today to believe again. Just raise your hand if that's you. If that's you. Okay. Yeah, just keep those up. Just keep those hands up. Yeah. I need to believe again that God in his resurrection power can bring this from death into life. Okay. Dozens and dozens of hands. Put them down. That's great. That's great. Let me pray for you first. Lord Jesus, pray with me. Agree with me. Lord Jesus, you have resurrection power. You can change these areas. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. Is in us. And you want to uh, change things in our mortal bodies, change things in our mortal experience, in, the, in our deadness. You want to bring it to life. So, Lord, I pray right now for, for people who it's their, their, their spiritual walk with you that's there's a deadness. I pray you'd raise them to life. Raise them to life. Raise them to life in that area. For others, it's a relationship that they say, I can never, see, I don't know how I can see that restored. I don't see, ever see that being better. God, would you show them the path? Would you empower them along the journey for your better in that relationship? Lord, I pray for damaged emotions. I pray for woundedness where you say there's a deadness in me because I got hurt. I pray for healing. Lord, I pray that you would, you would you'd take that death valley and you'd bring it to life. You'd bring it to life. Wholeness and healing in you. Lord, any other requests? I don't, I'm not going to cover them all, but Lord, you See it. You know the heart of the person that's raised their hand. Lord, you bring it to life, Lord Jesus, by your resurrection power. Thank you that you gave us Jesus, Father. And thank you that you're willing to give us all things that we need. And so we trust you with those other areas that we haven't included in the all things for some reason. Now we say by faith, we're going to place that thing that we haven't believed you for, and we're going to place it in the category of all things the things that you say that you will help us with. Now, I just want one other area. This morning you say, well, maybe it's not believing again. You say, I, I didn't grow up in church, or I've never ever got to that place where I really have totally trusted God with my life. I've sort of been on the, maybe the peripheral, looking in a bit. And today I realize that I need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to start. It's not believing again, it's believing for the first time. And so I want to invite you, just again, heads bows, eyes closed. Let's just allow this to be private for people between them and God, okay? If you're, if you're there, you say, today I'm, I want to dedicate my life to Jesus. I want to believe uh, for the first time. I just want you to raise your hand real quick. Just give me, I'll be the only one who sees it. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. It's great. Great. You can put your hands back down. Okay. I'm going to pray just a simple prayer. And you know what? I'm going to ask the whole congregation to pray with, with you. Okay? And now this is the, this, just in case that you've got a problem with that, this is the kind of prayer you could pray every day. It's true for if you're a Christian or if it's not a Christian, but it's a, it's a prayer of dedication of your life. Giving your life to God. Saying, I want the, the power of God to give me eternal life with God when I die, but I also want him to bring me to life in him while I live.
in this life as well. Okay? So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray this, but I'm going to ask you guys to repeat it after me. And again, don't let anyone pray alone. Let's just do this together. Dear Father, thank you that you love me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me. And sent Jesus to die on the cross. Sent Jesus to die on the cross. For my sin. For my sin. I put my trust in Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you. Help me to live a life that honors you. By the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know what? Those of you who just prayed that prayer for the very first time you, and you put your hand up and you said, I'm believing for the first time. This is your resurrection day. This Easter is your resurrection day. This is the beginning of a journey. Can I just give you a couple things of encouragement real quick? Um, next week, we start a brand new series. It's called Flipped. It's talking about how, just like the video we saw earlier, how Jesus changes everything. Jesus does want to change everything in your life and, and give you his better Exchange your better for his better. So the next number of weeks, we're going we're to teach through the Sermon on the Mount, which was one of Jesus' most iconic teachings. And we're, and we're going through how Jesus wants to flip things for the better in your life. How he wants to change those things. So uh, I encourage you to come back for the next number of weeks if, if, if you're able to. Maybe you're visiting from out of town. If you're from out of town, find a church that you can connect with that teaches the Bible. That's really important. That'll help you to grow really fast. Second thing is, if you came with somebody who would be super pumped to know that you made that decision to give Jesus your life today, tell them that, right? Just make Easter twice as good for them, right? Uh, tell people that you know, and they'll encourage you as well. They'll be pumped for you. You get some high fives, maybe a hug, who knows, right? But tell them. And at the end of the service, you, if you're saying, man, I, we talked about dead things, and that sort of weighted me down, and I want people to pray with me today, we're going to have pastors and prayer teams up front, and we'll pray with anybody who comes. We're actually totally pumped just to pray with you about that area of need in your life and agree with you that God will bring resurrection power to whatever area is dead, okay? So those are a few things just to follow up today. And uh, we just absolutely love that you came and spent your Easter Sunday with us. Absolutely love that. Absolutely love that.